so we're here. It's late. It's late Monday night, and um, we're so jazzed about what we saw at Health 2.0, or so stimulated, I should say, that we decided to get together and have a conversation about what we saw, what we think the trends are, and kind of be that um, physician advisory board for hire, except we're not charging anything. <laughs> I love it. It's great. <clears throat> so who wants to start off with just some major takeaways before we dig in? I'll give you mine. Uh, <clears throat> so I think what is remarkable about what we're seeing at Health 2.0 is that there it feels like it's, it's 1998 all over again in many ways. That is, and it may be biased by the, the companies that we saw, but so much of what we saw, not really sure that there's going to be you know, users, I'm not really sure there's going to be revenue. I really don't quite get it. And if it were my money, I wouldn't invest in these things. So I think that's what's remarkable is that despite the fact that uh, we all live through the, the boom and, and then the bust, um, we're, we're having this all over again. Now, maybe it's because many of the people who, started, who are starting these companies aren't old enough to remember the boom and bust. Perhaps that's it. <laughs> you think so? I think that if we come back in uh, in in a few years, uh, we will see that a lot of these companies will just be gone. And uh, yes, I would go on record as saying that. I think there are some good ideas there, uh, and uh, very few good businesses. Um, but um, but that's you know that's we'll see. That's kind of the idea of Health 2.0, though. I mean, you know, there's there have been a number of, of businesses that have presented in the past, didn't present this year, and are, are not gone. Um, they just have, you know, formalized their business a little bit more. I mean, this is this serves as a as kind of a you know um, coming out party. Although I completely agree with you, Danny. I I actually saw very few things that you wouldn't have been able to see in 1998. I completely agree. But I do think there were a few things that were, that were interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, many of these become successful businesses or not, you know, I agree with you, most of them won't. Um, but you know, all the same, you know, I think there were a few that kind of, kind of bubbled up to the top for me at least. Yeah, and I, and I think on the positive side, uh, Phil, I would say that um, the nice thing about Health 2.0 is the energy in the room and the, you know, the fact that there are a lot of bright people who have done some interesting things with technology, and it gets you thinking. It says, well, that's an interesting thing. Why don't, why don't, you know, maybe something will come of this someday. So, so that's what I really like about it is I like kind of the energy, the entrepreneurial spirit, and that's all good. Do you think are we getting back to like you know in the late in the late nineties um, people really think about the web as this great huge behavior change tool um, and the first first couple of two are really about look what we can do with web two and is it is it that the behavior change people are now coming into it and the business people are coming into it with that same idea of what they hope to do with the web ten years ago? Uh, well, I was just going to say that that um, that that may be the case. Although, when it comes to behavior change, I mean, what did you guys see? What What did you guys see that that the liked when it came to behavior change? And when I think behavior change, I think of of modifiable lifestyle uh, risk factor sort of focused kinds of things. Um, and there were a couple of things I saw in that area that are that are kind of of interesting. But but are they moving the needle? I mean, um, 
you know, one of the one of the companies I kind of like um, is is Kias. You know, they came out last year. They didn't really present much um, this year. They were a sponsor of one of the sessions, but didn't really present much. I think they had a booth. Um, so, you know, they're kind of laying low a little bit, although I understand they're developing, you know, some some decent partnerships. Um, there was Tweet What You Eat, um, which was sort of a new uh, social network based kind of thing. Although to some extent, I was sitting there going, come on, really, really, you're going to tweet what you eat. But, you know, they calculate the calories and I actually run into some people who use them, you know, I mean, in, in like on the street kind of situations. So behavior change, you know, that's a really interesting topic. Uh, and uh, a couple of things, a couple of things that I like, but not too much, not seeing a whole lot new in that space. What do you guys think? Well, let me let me uh, add on to that. So first of all, tweet what you eat. Yeah, I, I tweeted what I saw when I saw tweet what you eat, which is that, come on, really? Are we, it's like, you know, not only... <laughs> You know, there's a question about, are you really going to tweet what you eat? But the other piece of it is this is not quantitative at all. Um, so I, you know, ate a brownie the size of New Jersey. And, I, you know, someone's going to reply back. Someone in the crowd is going to say, oh, I heard a brownie has only 150 calories. Well, I'll have three. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the point is, is that I really don't think there's a lot of value to that. But there is a value in in having mobility. So I think that when we look at you know, where the web was before, um, and the web was this great thing, which was motivating all these businesses to start in the 1990s. Um, now what it is, it's the fact that it's the connected technology along with mobility, along with connecting wherever and whenever you want to do it. And, you know, most of the time it's through iPhones. I think everybody loves their iPhones at this thing. But, but, but the point is, is it doesn't matter what platform you use. You can do very interesting things with these devices because you're connected all the time. So going back to your, 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 your last question about uh, behavior change, I, I think the other thing that's different now is something that some of these behavior change organizations have, have leveraged, which is social networks. So we know from experience, but also from the excellent work of Nick Christakis and colleagues, that so much of what we do is predicated upon our social networks. So both good and bad behaviors can go through social networks. We watch on TV things like uh, The Biggest Loser and so on. And we, we know that we, we people working together, you know, people supporting each other really make a difference in behavior change. So I think what I was interested in was that where the companies, and I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't recall the name of them offhand, but the companies that actually leverage your social network, uh, and there were two of them that we saw and one that I talked to who didn't uh, um, demonstrate there, um, who, that leverage a social network to have you change your behavior. We all know yeah. about Get Up and Move, that, uh, which has a new name now. What was the, what's the name of it now? I Move You. Yeah, I move, I move you. You got it. So, so that that's a neat thing. That's also leveraging a social network, and what it's allowing people to do is is essentially make challenges to each other, okay. uh, so making challenges, making bets with other people in your social network. That's great. That's brilliant, and I think that's an important tool. Well, do you think you know one thing that was really interesting is a woman walked up to myself, another physician, and said, asking her who we were, we said we were both doctors, and she said, "What's a doctor doing here?" And it, it makes me think of. You know, I postulate a lot of these ideas about social networking as a force, a motivating force, but I've always thought of it, and not to be physician-centric, but I've always thought of it as a connection to the people that you trust and work with, and you know, biggest loser to very strong-minded trainers pushing you and a doctor. Um, so sometimes it feels like, are people not expecting at this thing to have the um, medical and nursing profession present? And is it that it's too hard to engage us or we're too busy? 
I think you're you're right, uh, Ted, that people are surprised to see us there. And I think it's a combination of things. One is is that if any of us were full-time doctors, we would have a hard time justifying this time away from our practice. So part of it is is the money. But I think the other part of it is that I, I think that physicians have, have unfortunately fallen away from spending a lot of time helping people with, say, behavior change, uh, number one. So, you know, we all know, the world knows now, I think that physicians aren't paid to reinforce behavior change, to teach behavior change. And so that's perhaps one of the reasons for lack of interest. I think the other thing, Ted, is that um, um, physicians have often poo-pooed these uh, technologies. Uh, they still physicians are uncomfortable with uh, patients who seek information on the internet, patients who seek information from other patients, as you know. And in fact, a study from the uh, Center for um, uh, Studying Health, Science, Health Services Change, I can't remember the full name of the organization, just published a report, a new st a study showing that only 7% of physicians routinely use email with patients. This is 12 years, more than 12 years after the very first guidelines uh, were published on the use of email in patient care. That, that's a remarkable stat, and it just flies right in the face with the advantage that folks like Kaiser Permanente are getting um, as a result of offering this really ubiquitously um, to to their patients. And so, what's the what's the barrier? Why is why is technology in and of itself, um, at least for uh, doctors interacting with their patients, not being uh, not being taken up? Um, you know, one thing that we talked about was uh, talking about now was like physician rating sites. So whether or not we want to be engaged, we're kind of going to be anyways, aren't we? I think so. I mean, you know, there were a few rating sites on there that were that were, you know, I think making a little bit of of hay. And so I, I think it's a really interesting question. You know, I mean, uh, on on the ratings front, you know, you you mentioned that, you know, there was. Um, uh, the the company I want great care I don't know if you you remember that or not but but it was kind of a kind of like an Angie's list but with a better UI of graphs that show you know how patients responded to to questionnaires and I was just think, sitting here thinking to myself really um, you know I mean is that is that really something that a, that a provider would hang their hat on and say gosh you know I'm just not as liked as the other guy is it something that consumers would really would really hang their hat on um, you know I mean we've got plus you know I mean. <clears throat> When you think about physician comparison and some of the surveying that that's done, like you know my company Prescania does, um, you know there are certain ways you kind of have to do it the way Medicare uh, requires that it be done. And you know one of the things that kind of brings up is I really didn't hear meaningful use um, at at all at this conference. Um, like the biggest driver of technology in the healthcare industry right now, what everybody's clamoring after, where the big dollars really are. And I didn't hear about it at all. What do you, what do you think about that? Was this just not the right place? Or and also, what? I didn't also hear accountable care organization either. You know, right now, there's a whole, in both things, there's a whole industry cropping up around ACOs. And you're right. It almost, it almost gave a picture of, this is a group that, um, to some extent, is creating a new reality, which is cool. Except the problem is there's this other reality that's happening around them. But well, that's just it. There's well, another reality that's that's coming up, and it's not just ACOs. It's not just meaningful use. It's also things like value-based purchasing. You know, I was I was sitting uh, next to uh, next to somebody at, at one of the tables during one of the sessions, and people were talking about ratings, and people were talking about you know that 
that kind of thing. And I, I turned to the guy next to me and I said, I said, yeah, but but what about the fact that the government has already specified that your your core measures as a hospital and your CAPS patient satisfaction ratings as a hospital are going to be weighed in to uh, to guide your reimbursement under value based purchasing? And then I pulled up the app that we have that that that's our VBP calculator for hospitals to show how much they're going to be leaving on the table unless they correct some of these issues. And he's like, wow, I had no idea that they were actually doing that. I'm like, yeah, this is what this is what we call legislation. <laughs> like, like every hospital out there and, and not too far behind is going to be every physician is not going to be able to get away, um, away from this stuff. So where are the technologies that are going to help them to, to, to meet that, that demand? It's a demand. It's not a request. <laughs> yeah. And I think that you bring up a good point, Phil. And, and it seems to me that um, many of these uh, quote health 2.0 developers have been, um, they, they sort of create an alternate reality, which is that, uh, I mean, there's a good example in, in the um, Hello Health practice that was very visible last year at Health 2.0. So the idea is, is well, yeah, we can create a much better healthcare system because our healthcare system is screwed up. Let's just do an end run around everything. Let's do an end run around medical malpractice, insurers, Medicare, what have you. If you do that, there is no question that it's pretty easy to create a more rational system. But the reality is that we don't live in that world. So I think that many people, either because the, the, the problems are too hard or, um, or it's just easier to do it without, are creating systems that are systems that operate in a vacuum and don't necessarily scale to a real population of patients. So, so I think that's part of the problem is that we're, we're in this sort of magical thinking mode. I think we could say on its face that this con- this conference is very well run. They have a good team. They build excitement. Um, I thought about this really hard, and I think that they have really tried to bring patient perspective into it. And each time, you know, they've been asked to do more about that, they do. Um, and you can't say that about a lot of healthcare conferences. Yeah, you know what? You're right, Ted. I, I've got to give it to Matthew and Indu. They they did a nice job, and and this one I b- do believe was their best. And and it it's always been by and large patient centric, and um, I'd just like to reiterate a couple of things that I said and, and, and that Danny said, and that is that you could you could rewind the clock. That could have been a 1998-1999 conference, honestly, for the most part. Some of the things that are different are you know, the, the use of, of the social networking, um, the use of mobile. Um, but, but that, those were not necessarily leaps and bounds above and beyond what you might've otherwise found. However, I would say that I saw a few things that I really liked. So, um, and, uh, I'll tell you what those are. (laughs) So, so, um, first life research. Did you guys see that? No. Remind me what that one was. Yeah. So, so first life research. So what they do is they go through, um, what, what, is all the publicly available data out there on the web, and in particular, all of the the social networking sites? Well, okay, the the Twitterverse by and large, because Facebook's closed, so they can't really come through that and crawl it. But what they do is they go through and they crawl all of these all of these sites, especially the Twitterverse, and and what they do is they bring back um, the results and categorize. Um, the the content of those sites based on a, this semantic you know taxonomy that they've created and they focused on drugs initially, so so drugs side effects 
complications, uses, do people like it, do people not? But the thing is they've organized all of this content dynamically based on this semantic arrangement of, of the drugs and their side effects and what they're used for. And so you can actually go through and you can see that, oh, well, wow, there are so many posts about this side effect, right? You can get a sense of what's happening real time, uh, but, but it's because they, they, over, they overlaid this this semantic taxonomy, which if you guys know me at all, you know I'm the big semantic taxonomy guy. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but um, but uh, but they used it smartly. They they used it as a way to really kind of filter and organize the content of the dynamic web out there, you know. And and I really I really thought that was yeah. You know, I, I had that that slightly different perspective than you, Phil. I, I think it's a great idea to mine information out there. But the problem is, is that you have people who are not happy because they had a particular side effect of a medication and they're going to tweet it a lot and they're going to write about it in different posts and this and that. And so you're actually not really going to, so I don't have a problem with finding out that there are these associations there, but when they try to make it quantitative, that's where I have a problem with it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that what I saw. I don't know that I saw necessarily tried to overly do that, though. I mean, I think they were taking sort of the macro view, you know, widening the lens and saying, "What are people saying about about this med? What kinds of effects are people having with this med?" Now, yeah, I mean, people don't generally tweet that, "Hey, I love my medication because it makes me <laughs> feel good." Um, but but by the same token, if you, I mean, it's almost like you're getting a trend. You know, you're like saying, you know, what's trending now? <laughs> you know. You like almost like a portal out there that just says, you know, what's trending right now? Side effects from, you know, from uh, whatever whatever med. I, I think it's I don't know. I think it's interesting because again, they've they've overlaid this structure of how comments and natural language is related to the knowledge of healthcare. You know, a drug and its side effects. So I, I just thought it was kind of unique. Hey, what do you guys think? What do you guys think about the two? Sort of big announcement. When I come away from the conference, looking back, I remember two big announcements. Okay. Um, the first was ShareCare. What did you guys think about that? Mm, I'm, not uh, sure. I'm not too excited about it. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I didn't quite. I wasn't quite sure what the point was. So I understand that there's the there are these the, the idea is is that um, if I'm remembering this correctly, you have uh, people. Well, actually, I, I probably can't describe it concisely because it's been a while since it was, you know, it was last week when we saw it. But uh, I guess the celebrities and healthcare organizations and uh, will post things and will create sort of the, their own social networks. Is that right, Phil? Well, basically, it's all centered around questions that they know are common among um, among patients. And so what they've combed through is, you know, just sort of the, you know, Google posts and whatever other sources they use to create um, a list of questions, over a million questions. And by launch, they had over 100,000 of them that um, were the most common questions that they asked their partners to actually post answers to. And so, yes, you're right. They're creating localized networks, social networks um, that are topic specific, but they based it on these, these most frequently asked questions. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure what I do if I'm a consumer and I go in and I find out, well, Dr. Oz thinks one thing and uh, Piedmont Medical Center thinks another thing. And, and, and what, what do I do there? I also don't think that the, they're going to con- have continued interest, these, these, um, these celebrities, if you will, in, in, in participating in this, nor, nor why would they want to have like, why would, why would consumers want to have yet another social network to uh, participate in? And why would the celebrities want to 
sort of work with these uh, th- these people in these alternate social networks. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of wait and see. You know, I I think all innovation is good, and clearly there are huge gaps in healthcare 1.0, and so. I, you know, I do hear the thing that people have plenty of information. That's not what they need. You know, they need motivation. Um, but I, I did see that there are some elements of, you know, transactional stuff with physicians. That's not there. And some apps aren't released yet. So and, and clearly, um, what's the person who started this, Phil? Yeah. What's his name? Uh, it's uh, Jeff Arnold. Sorry not to be um, ignorant. Jeff Arnold, right. Obviously, has a track record for, for doing big things. <clears throat> True. In, in this that's kind of my thought too. A couple of thoughts on share care. Um, I actually, I actually think it works. I think it works for two reasons. One is that Jeff Arnold has a track record of creating a brand and is able to use the celebrities like Dr. Oz and Oprah and others to be able to build that. But the second is I actually think it's kind of smart in the following way. Um, if you think about the way the web is changing and the way Google is starting to index, you know, it's really getting smarter and smarter about using natural language to index um, index sites and links. And, and so, you know, people are out there now in the Twitterverse, you know, they're out there on Facebook, they're asking questions in natural language. And so to the extent that, that questions are asked and the way that people actually ask questions, that string, that set of characters as it hangs together is going to start to be Googleable, right? I mean, those are going to start to be hyperlinked, and 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 Google is gonna is gonna be smart enough as an intermediary to be able to tie those questions as they're posed out there in the real world with the folks that are answering that question. And and Jeff Arnold has set a site up to to be able to answer that question. And I think it I think it's smart from a search engine optimization. Um, standpoint and from the way these sites actually work and the way consumers are going to be retrieving health information. So, so I, I think, I think kudos to them for being able to do that. You know, speaking of, of Jeff Arnold, of course, he was the founder of, of WebMD, my, uh, my previous employer. And so, so, um, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, the demonstration of the mobile apps. They've gotten some real uptake of uh, at WebMD of of the mobile apps. But I got to tell you, <clears throat> and it's not just because I was personally involved in the, in a lot of the technology <laughs> that helped to drive what they showed. But but you know, being able to look up a symptom while you're mobile and being able to see that one that a medication that you're currently on or a diagnosis that you previously gotten from your physician um, in your PHR could actually be called Causing your current symptom. Well, that was a kind of a simple demonstration. I got to tell you, that's a whole new thing, though, right? Using your real data to cross-reference your symptoms right now using mobile, and and tell you that yeah, that that drug actually could be causing that that particular symptom. I mean, that's that's kind of a well, that's that's a bigger you, idea well, that I think it may seem like. But you know what I would say though? You know, there's all this stuff coming out about mis- you know managing massaging the same health content, more health content, more health content, more health content, and yet. Regina Holiday's in the back of the room with the most common need of every single patient, uh, regardless of the most basic outpatient visit to the most intense hospitalization, access to their own data. And it's like, it's the one intervention that people are not really out there pushing. Um, and it's the one that is the most meaningful. And like, you, like nothing that they showed is meaningful unless it has the data attached to it. And yet we didn't see physicians up there talking about releasing pathology results or radiology results or, or even the open notes project wasn't discussed. 
And it's sort yeah, of like it almost seems like it almost seems like the PHR thing has been talked about. It wasn't right. as uh, wasn't as big a panel. I mean, you know, Google and Microsoft, Kaiser, um, WebMD, you know, they were all up there. And like I said, I think WebMD showed something really kind of useful and new. Um, but what else was was really when it comes to your retrieval of your data, Cerner showed something. Um, what what else was really new in that area? Nothing. I don't recall anything. <laughs> that's a, that's a little bit of a that's a kind of a shocking statement because um, that's the thing everyone wants. You know, when they go back home and get their health care, um, at the end of the day, I don't think they're worried about having a, a good mobile app to access their their uh, interactions. I think they they want to be able to get their data and work with it because that that's what's differentiating to a person, and that's what they're right. still not getting. That's that's the bummer, and I and maybe it's that maybe these companies just feel like they've been frustrated because they can't they can't crack it, or I mean I don't know. Well, you know that's that's true. Um, uh, a couple of things to be said there, though. You know, this whole idea of continuity of care and information sharing, you know, is is the idea, right? I mean, that is what Regina is is needing and has been has been such an advocate for. And there there wasn't a lot there, but I will say this. I will say that Microsoft Health Vault um keeps showing up <laughs> in a lot of places. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I mean I mean don't you think? I mean it it it's 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 got a lot of people behind it. I know that. Um and uh it kind of keeps showing up, right? I mean, well, well, I think that you know, Microsoft Health Vault certainly was there, and and most applications that are sort of thinking about where they need to go that that acquire information, most of them are thinking, well, we will upload data to Microsoft Health Vault and Google Health. So I I, I think that's important. I, I think it's kind of interesting that uh, I think it's interesting that if you look at um, uh, Microsoft Health Vault, Google Health, uh, Microsoft Health and Google Health, they were created to be not just repositories, but repositories through which applications could upload, download, as well as do things to the data, do things with the data. So the idea was that, well, we could actually have a PHR application or a decision support application that looks at your data that's stored in one of these locations and does something to it that's useful to you. What we've seen, though, is that lots of things upload to Google Health, Microsoft Health Vault. Very few things are downloading to, you know, to an electronic medical record, say, and almost nothing does anything useful to the data once it's there, which I think speaks to the bigger problem, which is that once this data is there, I don't think we really have a way of reconciling all this data from different sources. That's a huge problem, you know. I mean, we we grappled with it, and I think we actually tackled it, and 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 to a large extent solved it at, at WebMD when we created the PHR and created the master health profile that drove the personalization of that closed system. But that's still a closed system, you know. These these other these other more you know generally available folks, you know, Google Health and Microsoft Health Vault, they they really haven't gone to that that next uh, that next level. And and you're right, it's like the so what, you know, like you know, and and and. And here's a question for you. You know, why why are we not seeing some of these portals? And my God, there were a lot of portals there, weren't there? I mean, just plain old 
portals like <laughs> like right health and health central and you know i mean there is plain old portals you know just like yeah. 1998 all over again and you would think that with you know with microsoft health vault and other things that they would have figured out how to how to make a truly compelling and personalized experience based on that data and you know i know healthline is doing that work too with folks like etna and and providing some of their private portals that they do so i think they're they're you know they're pretty smart but most of these big health portals that I saw, they're like not doing anything special or new. Well, you know, that's, that kind of brings us back around to this um, physician and physician advisory board for hire. Because one thing that I heard in um, ePatient Connections in Philadelphia was the next big thing will be physician involvement in some of this work. And, you know, we're all kind of there. We're, we're all kind of there. We're not there to be negative. I mean, we're there because we actually want to see healthcare disrupted to an extent. We want to make sure that innovation thrives. And, um, you know, the conversations we had um, with other people throughout the conference really show that there are physicians out there that want these ideas to succeed and do well because they help people. You agree? Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, what do people need to do? Just, you know, look, look us up and say, are they not coming out? Are they not, are they not finding these folks that can help them understand? Well, you, know what, I, you know what? I, I, what I think is I, I think people don't know what they don't know. I, I think people have entrepreneurial ideas. Hey, here's something that would be kind of cool. And yet, you know, when it comes down to it, very few of them feel like, yes, there's an absolute business here. And then they, they realize, oh, there's this whole domain of, you know, usually it's like informatics, right? <laughs> or or common sense. Hey, we've seen a lot of these kinds of things tried but failed and, you know, that kind of experience. They don't know what they don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that, that that's what it is. And I think that it's interesting because if any of them have any clinical piece of them, they sort of get some kind of physician advisory board of sorts, but they're, they're not necessarily, they're physicians who are content or domain experts, but may not really understand sort of the bigger picture of what we're doing with social media, the kind of things that, that the three of us often talk about. And so, uh, so, so that's right. Um, Phil, Phil's correct. They don't know what they don't know. It's not just in that, of course. It's in informatics. It's in understanding what's been done before and, and what are the reasons that it failed. It's in understanding how to connect to a healthcare ecosystem so that you're not just a, a little point solution. All those things are important to understand if you're going into this space. Well, you know, certainly I, I think we're going to come back and keep um, being interested in talking to people. And, and speaking of that, I want to ask about sort of um, another aspect of all this is let's talk about the um, – the, the interstitial, the in-between, the before and after. What, how was your experience with the, the people? There's some really fun, great people there. Talk about that. Well, it's a, as I was saying earlier, I think it's a great conference for the people who attend. You know, whether they're um, e-patient advocates, they're, they're, they're patients, they're doctors, they're developers. It's just a great energy, uh, a lot of free thinking. And, and, and I think that's great. I, to me, that's one of the big values of the conference. And I'll tell you something else. Um, I was interested to see that some of the most interesting companies that I heard about did not want to show what they're doing in this audience. They were there, but they didn't want to show this on a stage and have a three-minute demo. And I appreciate that. These are companies that may already have, in some cases, already have funding. Um, they don't need to show their stuff. Um, and they're doing very interesting things. Interesting. <clears throat> 
Yeah, Ted, I, I, I totally agree. I think that the um, the networking, the the interactions with between really a group of like minded folks. I mean, we really are. There's nobody that goes there that doesn't have you know the the entrepreneurial gene. Um, you know, even me. You know, I, I uh, or, or maybe you know. Uh, in a big part, me. I, I work for a 25 year old company now, but you know we're we're really kind of you know re, reinventing some things, and and so I think everybody goes there to really kind of get the the creative juices flowing, and and um, and I really enjoyed the interaction. I thought the whole layout, you know, of having the the hall there where there was always some activity, um, you could come in and out of the main hall um, pretty easily, and um, didn't seem didn't seem awkward. Um, you know, the, here's the thing though is like you gotta you know yes this can be entrepreneurial this can be you know um, health 2.0 and you don't have to adhere to what has a tried and true business model but come on you've 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 got to make sure that there's something really new that these companies that are presenting are bringing to the table. Um, the social networking, the use of, of medical knowledge through, you know, the semantic angle, um, you know, <clears throat> uh, whatever it might be that you, you got to keep it leading edge. You can't have whole panels out there that are just about health portals. You can't, you can't do it. Well, I, I have to say that one thing that I've been really impressed with, I, I mean, first Health 2.0 was uh, 2008, and it's really kind of great coming back because there's like a little, there's alumni group, and um, we've we've had a lot of these conversations, we've been, we've seen a lot of these demos, we've seen the rapid fire way that Matthew um, Indu run the conference, do a great job, and it, it is one of the really nice things is ultimately that this group really is very patient centered and wants something better, and it's just really fun to kind of get together and um, think about what we're, what we're doing next. I don't know. I totally agree. Uh, but, but by the way, I, I got to ask you guys, um, to, to me, one of, one of the more interesting, compelling applications, I'm not sure what kind of business is going to be, was this uh, wacky thing called CupidMe. What did you guys think about that? Okay, I heard a little bit about it, and I'm picturing the, the arrow flying, flying, flying through the air. Could you, could you um, remind us what it is? Yeah, so the idea of this is that uh, – to, and you have to hear the CEO talk about why he came up with this company. It's a great story. But the idea is is that uh, people who are uh, dating and are considering being sexually active with their uh, their dates may want a way of uh, showing that they've had a recent uh, screen for sexually transmitted diseases. So the idea is you have these results faxed from the laboratory to this service. This service links it with your cell phone number, and you simply text a uh, particular phrase to the CupidMe server. It recognizes who you are. It sends back your latest STD screen and says when they were done and where they were done and so on, thereby avoiding awkward conversations, supposedly. I just thought it was an interesting uh, way of uh, using a, a text uh, text messaging to, uh, to, to get rid of a... Uh, a particular situation in a particular uh, demographic. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think with all this stuff, I, when I come to this, I always, I always think about what's the essence of, of this? Because I think, I do believe, you know, everyone that's going there is working really hard to be successful, not to be unsuccessful. And I think everything has something in it. So that, that really, t to me, speaks about greater awareness of health risks and sharing, whether or not that's the way it'll happen in the future. And then the text messaging thing as well. I think that's a great essence. I remember two years ago, um, second life, you know, where's, you know, what has happened to second life? But yet they had a multiple sclerosis patient in second life saying, 
you know, I can't walk in real life, but I dance every night on Second Life. And mm-hmm. That was kind of that was an amazing thing to take away to say, well, whether or not this technology um, is enamoring to you, um, it serves purpose for some people sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, speaking of of those those couple of ideas, you know, MS, you know, it reminds me of of patients like me. You know, those guys are still still going at it, um, but didn't have as much of a presence this year, I didn't think. At the conference, it's changed, hasn't it? I think it has. You know, they're very pharma focused, which you know I, I don't blame them. You know, as long as the patients have a heads up and know exactly what they're getting into, you know, I have no problem. But it's it seems like it's not as prominent um, an idea as it was. You know, one of the new things though that that was sort of along those lines of the of the Cupid idea was what Ronnie Zeiger um, of Google announced. You know, his little side gig thing. Yeah, you guys see that? Seduce Health. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so what, what are your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts about that? Do you guys remember what it is? Yeah, it's people saying, talk health to me, baby. And we're not going to do it on this podcast. No, no, that's fine. But, <laughs> but what it does is it, it tries to capture people's, you know, way of putting health into prose that are entertaining and interesting and relatively short. And um, and so, I you know, I thought that was, that was kind of neat. I like Ronnie. You know, he's a, he's a good guy. I've been going at it a lot of years. So I um, thought it was kind of cool. It's, it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Have you guys heard of um, itgetsbetter.com? I haven't. So no. itgetsbetter.com is um, a site put up by Dan Savage, which is videos of adults, gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender people, uh, YouTubing about their experience for the teens that um, potentially would, would commit suicide. And it's, it's interesting to see that, that, going, that being launched last week in addition to this. Oh yeah, especially with the the topic being so prominent in the news and the tragedies that have unfolded the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, my heart's a little heavy about you know seeing seduce health because this is also going on, and I think you know what what do I need to contribute to? And I and I'm it's a little hard, but I think that the essence of both actually is the video sharing. So that's really great, right? You have people that are passionate about something that are serious or not serious, but they want to change the world. Yeah, and I, and I mentioned two technologies that and I should have mentioned this as well, but two technologies that are different between now and from since 1998, and one of them is the mobility and the uh, you know uh, um, uh, the omnipresent uh, web, if you will, uh, pervasive web, and uh, one of them is the social networks. But the third one, which which we cannot ignore, and now it's coming up here in this discussion, is video. Video is huge. Video is everywhere. YouTube wasn't even anybody's on anybody's radar screen, of course, in 1998. And yet, it, it, you know, we, 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 uh, we all spend, I can't remember the numbers now, an incredible amount of time watching videos online. So the fact that video is being used for, you know, sensitive uh, clinical topics, for education, for entertainment, whatever it is, I think that's another big technology that we shouldn't ignore that was uh, showcased throughout Health 2.0. But let me ask you guys, well, so what do you guys think about this idea? What if, it, what if there's a segment called Pitch the Patient? So let's say you had like a patient, not a, not a, not an affiliated person, but you know, Regina holiday or someone that really is not in this industry. And what if the company had to pitch the patient, the patient can say, yeah, I'd use that. Yeah, that helps. Or I don't get it. You know, the, the problem with that approach is that, you know, it's just like, um, focus group testing. Okay. Um, 
is that is that when you ask patients, hey, you know, would you use yes. this? All this technology sounds so cool, yes. you know, and and yet it's a big difference to actually bake it into your life, you know. Yes. And yeah. and I think that those of us who have been around long enough, we've like, right. okay, we've seen that, you yes. know, patients didn't take that up or they did take this up. So I like Danny's thought around giving these companies some hardball questions, you know, because we've, you know, a lot of us that have been around have seen it and and tried and and why will this work now? Why did it not work before? Why would it work now? Um, and I, of course, we want to ask patients, you know, would, would they, would they use it? But, you know, one of the biggest things I got out of the conference was actually not at the conference at all. It was actually over at Health Camp um, when when Kaiser was going through what what it had done to really ask patients while they were there in the hospital or in the you know in the waiting room or at the doctor's office, what do we need to change about this right now? You know, you tell us what it is that you don't like about this experience and tell us how to make it better. And and you know that was really that was really kind of cool. That's great. Kaiser rocks. <laughs> Sorry, Ted. I wasn't saying that just for you, but so Phil, what's your um, what's your prediction or suggestion for the future? Um, a, a few thoughts come to mind. I think I think you've got to have you know at least a mental model of a few categories of of vendors that come in. You've got to include folks who are really um, attacking these demands that are going to be on hospitals and care providers as a result of these massive regulatory changes that have occurred. Um, Value-based purchasing, accountable care organizations, maintenance of certification, physiciancompare.gov, hospitalcompare.gov, meaningful use. You're scaring me. Well, no, no. I mean, these are these are the realities of those who have to adopt technology in healthcare. You cannot ignore it, but you you don't have to be stodgy about it. You don't have to bring in, you know, and and only have a panel of McKesson, Cerner, and and Epic. I mean, you can you can do it in new ways, but you can't ignore that. I think that has to be a part of the mental model going into next year. Is how are companies helping helping providers to meet a lot of these a lot of these growing demands? Another category would be okay, um, that first category was stuff that you, you're going to have to use. Now, what's the stuff that that uh, that you want to use? You know, what's that stuff that's really sexy, really attractive? And then a third category is stuff that I don't know whether, you know, I would use it or not, but boy, it sure is bleeding edge, you know? And so if, if, we, if we think about things that kind of fall into those categories, you know, we're not going to really miss, I don't think, miss anything. And it's still going to keep a lot of edginess, but it's not going to ignore that reality that's out there. <laughs> um, all right. Um, well, I forgot to ask you to say what you do, who you are, and what you do. So why don't you do that, and we'll close out. Phil, you go first. All right. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Philip Marshall, uh, senior vice president of clinical products for uh, for Prescanian. It's been a fun uh, first podcast with you guys. And this is uh, Danny Sands. Uh, I'm a physician part time, a primary care physician at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Uh, but my full-time job is uh, at Cisco Systems, where I am a director of clinical informatics in the um, Internet Business Solutions Group healthcare practice. And I'm Ted Eton. I'm a family doc. I work for Kaiser Permanente uh, in Clinovations in Washington, D.C., and I've known you both of you for a while, and it's always a blast to reminisce and talk about the future.